Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 258. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Kathleen Duffy. And today, Kip, I wanted to talk to you about an article that I stumbled across, published by the New York Times on December 7th, 2019. It's written by Sarah Miller and called My So Karen Life. Now, before going into this discussion, I'd like to situate everybody listening in the general themes of this article by Sarah Miller, which follows her own experience from girlhood through adulthood with the various categories of women that she's met in her life, specifically under the archetypes of names popular in her generation, Generation X. As the title of the article suggests, the most notorious of these names is Karen, but there are also Emily's, Alexandra's, and the name of the author herself, Sarah, as a category of women. I was really inspired by this article, first, because it was funny. It was wry and self-aware and ironic in all of these wonderful ways, and in many ways reflected my own experience, and the ways that I've encountered each of these types of women, though under different categories of names. And before we move on, I'd like to bring us to a short quote where Sarah Miller describes a Karen. To give us some shared language as we go forth in our discussion, I was particularly drawn to Miller's description of her time in elementary school. She says, All our teachers were jeans, and the jeans loved the Karens, of course, for their neat, sexy cursive and their indifference to pedagogy. Why is our state bird the chickadee? I wanted to know. Why not the robin or the blue jay or the seagull? Why, in fact, not the mallard duck? Karens never asked why we had to memorize all the state birds. They just did it. If Karens were a state, their motto would be because. I've also heard the name Karen thrown a lot in our younger generation, used as the moniker for those women who ask to speak to the manager of the store, or who fall under the category of what we might call normie, those people who'd subscribe to the rules and conventions of our societies and are popular precisely because of that. They're manipulative and powerful, and we seem to find them everywhere at different points in our lives. I'm going to give an audience a glimpse behind the curtain here and let them know that I was smiling as soon as you said the word normie because after saying it, you turned to me and asked if you should give a definition of that word for the audience. And that exchange, even though it's going to be edited out in the final episode, I think illustrates what is so valuable about this topic that a name like Karen is a perfectly normal name belonging to a countless number of people, probably across different generations. But what I so enjoy about articles like this, or your desire to discuss it, is that I see these as invitations to dig into things we think we understand or have meanings of, when at the end of the day, names mean different things to different people, and I find that so in keeping with the identity of this podcast, that we all come at things differently and have different interpretations. I'm also familiar with the name Karen, perfectly as you described it, the may I speak with your manager type of person. But for people in different cultures that aren't Western or English speaking, I wonder what the equivalent is. And I'd be really curious to hear. This article, of course written by a woman and about her experience being a girl and a woman, doesn't really touch much on what it is to be a man or someone who may not conform to said gender binary. And I was thinking throughout my reading of this article, are there male equivalents that I can think of? And there are some that come to mind. The name Chad really stands out as representing a certain type of entitlement and maybe arrogance. 
But I also think that culture is so fascinating in that regard that there are probably some wonderfully humble and non-entitled chads out there in the same way that there may be Karens who do not at all conform and would not in a million years speak to or want to speak to someone's manager. And that's what I find so interesting about this article that, for me at times, seemed to skirt a line not unlike Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried. I didn't always know if she was telling the truth or if she was simply making a point. And at the same time, I know that there's a lot of truthfulness in the experience that she described. What I particularly appreciated that you said just now is that those who normalize themselves are popular specifically because they follow the norms and the rules set out by a culture or society. And what I find so interesting about that is that there are many people I look up to that I think are popular in some circles who are popular for precisely the opposite reason. And it's so interesting to see what or who will gain a following in life, for lack of a better term. And so that idea really captivated me. And not too much beyond the quotation you shared is another one that really resonated with me, in which Miller says, quote, For some reason, all the Alpha Karens were with the gene teacher that year. And without them around, I made a new friend. And then together, we made another one. I saw what fun was, and that how, when you talked to a Karen, you would say words, and they would say words, and the words would just pile up around us. But when I talked to my new friends... The words I said and the words they said would join hands and then run away together to make space for new words, end quote. And Kathleen, I found that so powerful because that speaks, I think, to how terrible some friendships can be. I'm holding back from using expletives because they aren't really friendships in the way that second part of the quotation vividly describes People who not only make space for who you are, maybe even reflecting you back at yourself so that you have a clearer understanding, but people who lift you up. I think there's a direct correlation between words, phrases, sentences, or ideas you can share with people and the confidence or love they make you feel. In my brightest of friendships and relationships, you are high among them, my friend. I feel enthusiastic to engage in discourse because I know that my words not only won't be limited, but will be challenged for further clarification and asked about for deeper dives into ideas that may be shared between us. And from the description of the Karens, in air quotes, it sounds as though there weren't so many ideas or beliefs shared between them, but behaviors, other subconscious routines. I really like the idea that their state motto would be because. I love that you read the quote you did, particularly because I too found it incredibly moving and a true testament to the creativity of a true and good friendship, that it's an activity that we get to share and grow in together. And when you brought this up, I started to think about what inhibits that kind of dialogue between the friendship Sarah describes with Karens. Like you point out, much of it seems to do with shared behaviors or conventions rather than ideas and perspectives. But I also wonder if there's something to say for the fact that some of us just speak with different vocabularies. I don't mean this in the literal sense, but in the fact that our words often express our orientation and understanding of the world that some people just don't understand. They speak with a different language than we do. And that doesn't necessarily mean that their vocabularies are superior or inferior, or even that we can't bridge that language barrier, but that it is difficult. And I think in many ways reflects the fact that we fall into the social groups and categories that we often do. 
especially in formative years like those of high school or college. And thinking of college as a time in one's life, and your comments regarding friends who are highly regarded but rule breakers, I think we find a model of this character in the name Alexandra. Miller describes Alexandras as women who are irreverent, who don't care about the rules and don't know that Karens exist. Miller writes that Alexandras would plow through them like Karens were a window in a Long Island hair salon, and they were dear. If I pointed out a Karen to my Alexandra, she would say, Okay, I see a tree, a building, and an old sab. You're telling me there's also a person? I don't see anyone. I was so struck by the description of this archetype of a woman because I met my first Alexandra in college as well. And they were just as enchanting, intimidating, and attractive as Sarah Miller describes them to be. Throughout my reading of this article, I found myself wondering what category or name would I fall into? And this is an activity I think we all do, all the time. It's the reasons we look to astrology charts or take quizzes on BuzzFeed, that we want to be told who we are. Now, I think it's especially important to point out that this essay was listed under the Rites of Passage section of the New York Times website. And I point this out because these points in life, when we most ardently long to be found in one of these categories, to be found in a community of people just like ourselves, are those times of liminality where so much about who we are is uncertain. Those times in high school where our bodies are awkward and there are Karens everywhere, or when we go to college and have the opportunity to remake ourselves surrounded by models like Alexandra's for the first time. I find it so interesting to hear you talk about meeting your first Alexandra in college because my mind immediately goes to people in my life who have unique names. I know someone named Atticus. And he stands out for many reasons in my mind and in my heart. But there are also people who have names that I've heard before. And it's always so interesting to think about associations I do or don't have with that name. I'm then struck by the fact that for many people, one of the first things they say after meeting me is that they've never met a Kip before. And what an interesting thing that is to experience. It's worth saying, Kathleen, that I don't know any other Kathleen's besides you. And I do think, really powerfully, you have, by the nature of words and names, set a certain standard for the compassion, patience, listening, and curiosity I might subconsciously come to expect from others bearing that name. And I wonder to what extent unique or conversely common names allow or prohibit us from exploring ideas of identity. I think about kids in elementary school who are given their last initial as a means to distinguish them and what that must feel like. I've never had to be Kip C, and on some level, I've often thought about how much I value my name and how much Kip feels like a sound that encapsulates some of the sillier and more concise, ironically, parts of my personality that simply are, like a monosyllabic sound. I also think last names are really interesting here, though they're not brought up in the article because they're also a part of your identity. And one of my favorite things about my name that I realized a few years ago is that Kip Clark embodies a certain deviation from a norm. It is an uncommon word paired with a common one, and that feels, in many ways, like how I navigate the world. I would have loved for Miller to discuss that idea more in this article because, of course, the Karens had last names, and she even notes humorously at one point in the article, quote, my least favorite Karen was named Karen. 
And this leads into a really interesting section that evoked a lot of thoughts for me and the fact that this Karen had a best friend named Emily, who at one point in gym class, by chance, was paired with Miller to be her partner, and that the two became friends. Of course, angering Karen, because friendships shifted, and it seems as though Emily was eventually closer to Miller, and no longer friends with Karen, who confronted Miller and said, You're a terrible person. My mother thinks so too. Miller goes on to say, quote, I knew she wasn't entirely wrong. Yes, I wanted a friendship, companionship, but underneath it all, there was a thrill, because Emily was such a beloved object. I could not help feeling good that Karen felt bad. For once, I had been myself and won. And Kathleen, what I found so powerful about that is this experience of not belonging to a group and what that negative emotion can become, how it can metamorphose and transform. In this example, a somewhat malicious act, taking someone from someone else or trying to disrupt a friendship, becomes a positive or enjoyable experience. And I think this could be applied globally and even internationally. How many world leaders are there right now who might make emotional or trivial decisions because they feel excluded or misunderstood? We would hope that people behave in more sage and level-headed ways, but for better and for worse, we're all human. And this really resonated with me because we've all been excluded at one point or another, and I don't particularly judge Miller for her actions because a lot of us have gone down that ugly road. Once again, I am incredibly appreciative of the quote that you bring us to, as one that stood out to me very much in reading this article. In particular, the language of Emily being a coveted object, which I find to be a real moment of self-awareness in the author, namely in the way that she ironically, throughout this article, uses names to make people into objects, to fit neat and tidy in the spaces of those names. I also appreciate that you bring up the experience of your own name, something that I also thought about throughout this article and wanted to ask you about, particularly because I am constantly amazed at the power of a name. I have a sister who is a teacher at the high school in my hometown and has expressed to me before that there are a list of names she could never name her future children, simply because of the experience of knowing somebody by that name, that a name can be ruined or made by a relationship with that person. It also reminds me of a fun game that I think many of us have played throughout our lives, which is the question of, if I had a different name, or if I could have another name, what would it be? An activity that I find so interesting, because there are an immediate list of names that do or do not apply to this person. It seems that an inexpressible number of qualities are attached to each name, some more than others, of course, but that are there nonetheless, leaving me with the question of, do our names make our meaning, or do we make the meaning of our names? And to what extent do they inform one another? I also can't help but assume that our names reflect something about our family, about the character of our parents or the person who chose to give us that name, and the larger dynamics of family formation. And now, as we begin to close this episode, I'd like to read the closing paragraphs of this essay. After college, Sarah Miller moved to Manhattan, upon which she realized that there was such a great diversity of women, and that these categories of names she had so carefully constructed didn't seem to work anymore. However, she closes, saying, But still, we are not Karens. The Karens that have now proudly taken their place in the center of the world stage, the police women of all human behavior. 
All non-Karens of all ages should be on the lookout for Karens. Mocking you when you ask for a raise, cutting your best jokes, shaming you for losing your lanyard, and their assaults on our happiness, selfhood, and freedom. Because I know that Karens are going to Karen. They are unstoppable. All they see are open doors. We should blame the Karens, but maybe we should blame the doors too? Incidentally, all Karens love the doors, because they were a little rebellious, but not to the extent that they failed to achieve mainstream success. But Kip, before we conclude, I'd like to turn it over to you and see what you would like to ask the audience. I have two thoughts that come to mind. The first is that you so well phrased how names make people into objects. And I'd really love to know if the audience thinks there are ways to reverse that fact. Does the anonymity that the internet often affords us help to liberate us in some ways? Does that explain the popularity of the web? And are there other ways we might liberate people from the objectifying power of names? I'd also be really curious to hear how people, of course, feel about their individual names. And if there are any Karens, Alexandras, or Sarahs listening, your opinions of your own names. And if you want to compare to the article, we will, of course, as always, link to it on our website. And lastly, to listeners and readers of this article who are not women, I'd be really curious to know what your experience was like, or may soon be like, of reading and processing this article. In some ways, I can't relate to points it makes at all, and that's what I find so fascinating. And I'm really grateful that Miller wrote the article, but also, Kathleen, that you brought it to me and to our audience. So thank you very much. My questions for the audience fall along the same lines as yours. In particular, I'm curious to hear if people identify with their names or not. And if you could change it, what would it be? I'm also curious to hear what listeners think of the treatment of Karen throughout this article and if they have any suggestions for how we might have a more generous understanding of that name and the people we might describe as Karens. How might we complicate their stories and work to remember that they're humans too? But as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and we'd love to hear what you think. So if you have any thoughts, opinions, or feelings of any kind, you can find us on Twitter or on Facebook, you can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show as well as supporting us on Patreon, where in exchange for your support, you'll receive exclusive perks like bonus episodes and pre-show recordings. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And I'm Kathleen Duffy. Go in peace and conversation.